welcome to The Mummer's Farce, the podcast about the visual production of HBO's Game of Thrones. I'm Kate Berry. I'm Dan Solberg. And today we'll be talking about Season 3, Episodes 3 and 4, Walk of Punishment, directed by David Benioff, and And Now His Watch Has Ended, directed by Alex Graves. I loved these episodes. What did you think, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I thought they were they were both really strong, but in very different ways. Yeah. And, and notably here, we have directorial debut, at least as far as Game of Thrones is concerned, of uh, one half of the WB, the the B part. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually unclear. I actually don't know if um, this is still a collaborative direction or if it, if that's just a titling thing. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that when you're doing directorial credits, you're actually not allowed for whatever reason to have two people on the credit line so it's possible that they actually did the work together but Benioff gets the credit here on this one I think maybe uh, Weiss gets a credit on a later episode so we don't know exactly how that plays out but you know I thought that they definitely seemed like they wrote an episode for themselves here that felt even a little bit different than some of the others yeah I noticed some some different aspects of it too that especially the the blocking and movement of people Mm felt very important that like the the relation the physical distance between people was important and also it was it it was funny in a mm-hmm. lot of ways and they they gave themselves a lot of humor yeah it was a, it was maybe the most sort of packed like back to back like humor episode that i think we've seen and i wonder if I, there's also a few scenes that like uh, aren't necessarily scenes that are from the books, either mm-hmm. from it's a divergence in storyline or it's just some angle that we don't have a point of view character like that in the books. And it felt like maybe they wanted they they wanted to give themselves the challenge of like filming the stuff that's not that doesn't have as concrete of a sort of a baseline yeah. to, to draw from. Maybe they're like, oh, let's take on this challenge ourselves or something like that. And perhaps telling for the seasons to come where we don't have the book material, this one might be the closest in tone in some ways to, to some of those later things. Yeah. I thought both were really excellent, excellent and we, we were gushing about the episodes last week too. So season three really feels like a high point. Yeah. Um, both in the way things are filmed and the performances and then the story being just really good at this point. And there's a lot of... I mean, now it's sort of ruined for us some of the the twists and the reveals Mm -hmm. but i think the tension and the misdirects are really successful here not like some of the misdirects of the most recent season which felt strange and forced these feel really natural and like an actual surprise yeah they have some really just great surprises and it's just like that that there's not like one surprise per episode there'll Mm -hmm. just be like multiple things that kind of keep happening um you know i think the the walk of punishment episode here is is very strong it really goes for that kind of different kind of almost humorous angle but has some other interesting things going on with it with regard to not surprisingly like punishment and shaming it's yep. it's a recurring theme but then that's all of those things that's that second episode that's a that's a doozy that one's got so much happening yeah. um and I, I can, i'm excited to get to it because i mean i think it has probably the best Daenerys scene in the entire show so i totally agree <laughs> but we can't do that yet no will you please we'll give us there. a rundown of uh walk of punishment sure thing so we open with Hoster Tully being dead. We haven't met him, but he's Catelyn's dad. He's going off in a boat on a Viking funeral here. Edmure is supposed to torch it with an arrow. He fails a number of times, and then Brendan Blackfish comes in and saves the day. Meanwhile, in King's Landing, Tywin conducts his first small council meeting as acting hand of the king, in his own chambers, moreover. He names Tyrion the master of coin in what will soon to be Pitar Baelish's absence. 
Arya and Gendry ride off with the Brotherhood without banners, and Hot Pie stays behind in an inn to bake some wolf-shaped bread. The Night's Watch returns to Craster's Keep, and there Gilly also gives birth to a baby. Unfortunately, it's a boy. Melisandre leaves Stannis in search of what she says is more king's blood to conduct who knows what kind of dark magic. Ramsay helps Theon escape, then hunts and recaptures him. Danny walks the Walk of Punishment, which is a path where slaves are crucified when they've been seen as being disobedient. She ultimately offers Krasny's one of her dragons, in fact, Drogon, in exchange for the entirety of the Unsullied and Missandei. Jamie and Brienne are captives of the Boltons, and Jamie ends up lying to the Boltons about the nature of Tarth, that it's full of sapphires, in order to save Brienne from being raped. The Boltons punish Jamie's arrogance, however, by chopping off his hand with a big cleaver. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually how the episode ends. It ends with then cutting to a like punk rock version of Bear and the Maiden Fair, which is a real sort of uh, left turn from the outros that they normally do for the show. I think really effective, though. I love the way that that does that in this episode. <laughs> you definitely, you already feel shocked, and you've got uh, Jamie's scream, and then you have this sort of dropkick Murphy yeah, version. Yeah, you know what? That's, that's more accurate than just punk rock. It is, well, but it's, yeah. But it it's is Irish pub sing-along version oh, of... Baron Main Fair, yeah. yeah. It's definitely a surprise. It's, it, again, sort of weird jokes in this mm-hmm. one. Some of them are funny, and then some of them are like, this is a sort of dark one. It's, um, it's like pulpy in yeah, a way, you know? Yeah. It's like pulp comics kind of stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think it it works. I, I probably wouldn't want the whole show to be like this. It'd maybe be a little much to, yeah. to take like more than one episode every once in a while like mm-hmm. this, but uh, I think it's kind of like a, a punch in the middle of a season that works really well. Yeah. No, I liked that a lot. I mean, the, the music of Game of Thrones is, is a big part of it, but it's often understated and also written, you know, like it it doesn't mess with the genre mm-hmm. it doesn't it's not like but this one was maybe the only time that i can think of that like sort of breaks out of this fantasy semi-medieval whatever you know like right. the, the the tone right because even when they have the cover of the reigns of castamere later this season mm-hmm. it's still somber in a way that you could imagine like one of the traveling singers mm-hmm. uh singing it it's with guitars there's not like modern instruments yeah not electricity right. at work so um this one is definitely out there and uh yeah it speaks to this kind of like unpredictability in some ways that of what could happen next it also like brings things full circle we do open on the boltons in with uh jamie and brianne being captured singing the song uh on their on their own volition while they're on the trail there and then we close the episode with it a much more raucous version. Yeah. And Bear and the Maiden Fair in, I think, three episodes will, is the title of the, of the episode mm. and has foreshadowing Some to... Some pretty literal significance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we've talked about the end, but uh, let's start up at the top mm-hmm. at Holster's funeral that goes badly for Ed Muir. <laughs> just can't Almost do... goes badly for Hoster. Too. Yeah. Can't do anything right. And this is part of what I mean about like the... Uh, this real sense of physicality mm-hmm. of this episode in particular, that it's about everyone's facial expression, this sort of anticipation that he's going to be able to successfully, with an arrow, light the funeral mm-hmm. boat. And Edmure knows that everyone is, has this expectation. His face falls. Rob is laughing. Mm-hmm. 
Catelyn is like pained because she just wants her father to have like a dignified right. a farewell. And then Blackfish just <laughs> he knocks him out of the way. Uh-huh. But also the way that 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 they they shoot it that a lot of it is from the the bank where Edmure's firing from. But one of my favorite shot is that they switch over to the boat mm-hmm. and and you see the arrow fall short yeah. for the second time. And that was just such a good shot. I don't know. It really <laughs> gave you a sense of the failure. Uh-huh. And also the, the distance. And then, yeah, then they also have show the arrow like landing when Blackfish actually nails it later. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. And he's doing all the judging. He's like watching the wind. It's like really gives a sense of like, oh, this guy actually knows what he's doing. Because this is the first time we've met either of these characters. We don't know their names. Yeah. We don't know anything about them. We just know that they have cool fish armor. Yeah, yeah. They've got this sort of scalloped uh, leather armor that looks like fish scales, which is neat. Mm. And it's, again, like, we haven't seen River Run before either. Right. So we get an introduction to that. But you get an idea. I don't know. Maybe you don't know exactly what the relationship is, but that scene gives you a pretty good idea mm-hmm. of, of how, like, what they think of each other, or especially what Blackfish thinks of Edmure. Yeah, it's a great introduction, really. <laughs> yeah. a, it kind of sets up really what we need to know about them uh, going forward. Though we do get that fleshed out a little bit just soon after this uh, with the scenes later with Rob chastising Edmure and then Blackfish chastising him further. Um, yeah. that I thought that was a great scene too because we haven't seen... Rob has been... We like him because he was a Stark mm-hmm. and he seemed lucky. But in this scene, he seems like an actually really competent, intelligent leader mm-hmm. who's being who is actually unlucky, right? That he has an uncle who's a total idiot and out to cover himself in glory and ends up ruining his plans. Yeah. So yeah, that was the that was one of the only times where I felt that he, Rob isn't just charismatic, but actually thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And we don't really have a lot of time with Rob. He's not even in the second episode we're going to look at. So it's like, we're definitely just popping in and seeing him every once in a while just to sort of get an update as mm-hmm. to how things are going. But, you know, focusing on kind of characterizing the, the Tullys here, and later on getting a little bit more of a background with Blackfish and Catelyn looking out the window, we start to flesh that story out a bit more. But yeah, the, you know, I think the awkwardness is really the big part here. And again, this kind of like punishment slash shame theme that mm-hmm. runs throughout. Sometimes, again, used for kind of laughs, but a lot of awkward silences as well. Like nobody talks in that opening scene. It's totally silent. It's just Watching Edmure, like, another arrow, another arrow. He can't, still can't do it. Nobody's saying anything. How do they all react? And he he feels pain. Like, he clearly wants to, like, get this over with, but he can't do it. You know, and then we cut to, from all these scenes, after we have the chastising by Rob of uh, Blackfish saying, like, we don't, I'm running out of patience. Like, but you know who has a bunch of patience? Tywin's never going to run out of patience. And we cut to Tywin. Mm-hmm. Another essentially, like, quiet scene where there's no dialogue for a good solid, I don't know, 90 seconds or something, mm-hmm. in, in, at least, in there. And it's like, here's Tywin's literal patience being tested by uh, the small council. Yeah. And again, I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken, broken record for this episode, but that it's people's physical space that's important mm. that he's sitting at, at the head of a table and Littlefinger and Varys and Pycelle are sort of like they're like they feel like chess pieces they're trying mm-hmm. to be like what is the best spot and then Cersei comes in sees that she would be sit- seated far away moves dramatically the table to sit by her father's side Tyrion comes in and then like takes the position um furthest away at the mm. other end of the table and so there's something just about like people making their point 
through with their body and not their words. Mm-hmm. Just which, like this positioning. Yeah, which is really effective on screen, mm-hmm. um, and more so than if if you if they were trying to do that through dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched the the inside of the episode Benioff or Weiss, I can't remember which one. They talk about how Tyrion moves the chair to like be the furthest away, and like I kind of get that, but I always just saw it as like him asserting like, no, this is the head of the table. Yes, like you know, yeah. like I'm still running things, even if yeah. Right, equals sit mm-hmm. on the ends of the right. tables, um, but also he's isolated. That everyone True. is wants to be on Tywin's in, in Tywin's good graces, but that Tyrion doesn't really care about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he doesn't want to be just over with another member of the small council. He doesn't want to be on the side of Cersei, certainly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, doesn't that's kind of the choice to make. And you know, it's played out in silence, and there's this long squeaking, like scraping chair sound as he drags yeah. the chair from one end to the other. And, you know, it's meant to be, like, goofy and ridiculous. And so kind of over the top, but... Yeah. And I, this is maybe the thing that, uh, that I'm trying to express, and I feel like I'm failing, that for the writers to use so much silence, mm. and, like, that that's what sort of surprised me. You think that this would be really dialogue-heavy and that they'd get sort of like, oh, we're going to do lots of quippy, you know, conversations. And there are some of those, mm-hmm. but that it just... It's a little um, surprising that, that the writers would do an episode that where things are not communicated as much by speech, but by um, the way people move in mm-hmm. a space. So yeah. I'll try not to bring it up again. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I think you should bring it up. And we have we have even more of those instances, I'm sure, bound to pop up here. You know, I think with regards to the, the shame and punishment angle, I think that the members of the small councils feel like they have, like, almost no shame. Mm-hmm. Like, they're willing to test Tywin's patience. They're just kind of like... Uh, you know, uh, jockeying for position, and it's sort of like very clear that that's what's going on. But they're they're doing it anyway, and they're they're picking their positions in a very transparent way. That's like Tywin's watching this whole thing. It's not like yeah. this is happening before he enters the room or something right. like that. Also, conceivably, he was there first, and they're all maybe late. <laughs> you know, they all <laughs> kind of scramble in. It's like okay, yeah, that's a great scene. Mm-hmm. We have one, we've got also some great eye rolling on the part of Varys, who's like, every time that something happens with Batar, he's like, oh, come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. And he's being particularly slimy about, we have no idea about the extent of his relationship with Liza Aaron, but mm-hmm. he's starting to sort of to bring that up and f- flaunt it. Mm-hmm. From that, we get Bran and Jamie tied back to back on a single horse, which is a, another like sort of visually interesting. Mm-hmm. I get like, they're also sort of twins to have them sort of like sandwiched yeah Yeah, here they're like conjoined twins Uh um yeah and a really difficult conversation about rape right uh where jamie gives what he thinks is good advice Mm -hmm. but doesn't really end up treating brienne like she has any human feelings right Mm -hmm. he he was like well if i were a woman and he says something but uh, I'm not, thank the gods, right. that I would make them kill me. But you should let it happen. Right. And she's like, I'm like you. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. Yeah, he can't quite, he hasn't, he hasn't quite made the connection yet. It's coming. Women it's coming. are people. <laughs> um, and they would have feelings the same way you might have feelings. <laughs> yeah, but he, he, figure, he figures it out in this episode. Uh-huh. He just hasn't made the connection just... yet. <laughs> It's going to take a severing to make a connection. <laughs> the way that you delivered that was also so arrested development. That was really, oh, okay. that was really good. Um, but it's also, I thought this was an interesting line also because Cersei talks a lot about her wishing that she could be the male twin. Mm-hmm. And 
he does not have the same sort of empathy or the same feeling like he's very he's so much himself although he he realizes i think how fragile that is in this episode Mm -hmm. but cersei is always saying she wished she had been the son of tywin Mm -hmm. and like that she wanted to be jamie and that they would they would trade places but that hasn't given jamie a kind of empathy for women no i mean if the closest he's gotten is maybe recognizing that he's lucky like not necessarily even in this episode but previously when he had the one where he killed the Lannister, who's now I'm named, I'm forgetting. Oh. I remembered the boy Lannister. I remembered the little kid Lannister names, yeah. but I don't remember him. I think it's fitting they forgot his name. I bet Jamie forgot his name already, yeah, I bet he too. did. Anyway, he says, it's good that I was born who I am mm-hmm. um, because I wouldn't be good at anything else. And it's it's clear, like, he's lucked into so much stuff. Like, he might not really be physically very special. Like, mm-hmm. he's not huge he's not super strong he's just well he's had a lot of money to be trained very properly and mm-hmm. he was able to be sculpted into something that was you know to be feared but and brianne pokes at this right she's like you might have been good once yeah but i was beating you and he he does not like that at all <laughs> so every lots of things are being and will be taken away from him in this episode mm-hmm. and the first thing is this self-confidence because even if he says he that he wasn't losing he knows that he was yeah, we go from there with Arya and Gendry, and they they head out. I don't have too much for the scene, but they uh, they do. Hot Pie does stay behind at the end, and I I don't I don't know what I really think about this shot, but I think the the shot of Hot Pie standing in front of the inn door, they like kind of hang on it for a while, and he just sort of stands there. He's not. I don't know. I think it's kind of an awkward that it lingers yeah. to that degree. It always felt a little awkward to me. Like, did you guys not give him the direction to like emote something here? <laughs> just standing there in the doorway. He's hot pie. He doesn't I, have to I guess. Emote. I guess it's what he doesn't. He just stands there. He just and... stands there. Okay, sure. Yeah. And there was another sort of physical comedy moment where the archer, whose name I'm forgetting. guy. Thank you. Yeah. That he puts a sack over the hound's head and then purposely runs his head into a beam. Yeah. And I don't know. That was just, it was sort of funny because mm-hmm. the hound, things will get funny with him. But up until this point, he's been very serious right. and scary. And so to see him like kind of slip on a banana peel mm-hmm. is a little surprising. Yeah, this is very much like at his expense. Yeah. Um, he's not, the hound's not laughing with him. <laughs> <laughs> no. And yeah, I guess the only thing I think, I think about that is when Hot Pie gives him the bread, I felt like I could see that it was a wolf. I think they were maybe a little hard on him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I made this bread in this very complicated shape. It's like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> no, they're being rude. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just because the next loaf wolf loaf it will, it will be so good it will be so attractive because sure. he, he's going to get better so big surprise back at rob's camp only momentarily we see talisa treating the wounds of two tiny lannisters mm-hmm. one of them is tommen although it's just the same actor <laughs> but it's kind of i didn't it's weird one of them is named martin lannister yeah and martin <laughs> will in two seasons be tommen three seasons i don't remember when they bring him in Joffrey has to die next season, and then oh. he's... I think he's maybe oh, so next, next season. season. Yeah, so they must have just... He must have just had the Lannister look, and then and they... He does. Yeah, <laughs> but it was it was a surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. Uh, but yeah, we do have that, that scene down in the dungeons. Another, again, another kind of joke scene. Like, I mean, the whole thing is not a joke, but like the Martin Lannister asks Talisa, is do the, are the rumors they say about rob really true they turns into a wolf and she toys with them mm-hmm. right and she toys with them to a degree that actually she doesn't ever 
that we see like come back on and be like, just ah, kidding, guys, kids. I'm just kidding. It's like she kind of leaves that linger. She says, oh, oh, yeah, he eats children, just not on full moon. Is it a full moon? Oh, okay. It looks like you're lucky. Yeah. And then cut away. It's like, oh, these kids are terrified. Yeah. Well, and she also, and again, in Game of Thrones, you should never, there's, we should make a list of things you should never say. She tells the Lannister kids, you have nothing to fear. Oh, yeah. And we know that <laughs> probably doesn't bode well for them. Nope. You need to spend a little more time in the camp, Talisa. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Have you spoken to Rickard Karstark? Uh... <laughs> yeah. We get just briefly the uh, wilding party of Mance, Tormund, John, Oral, Orel. Excuse me. Also, I'm just gonna say Orel is uh, Russian for eagle. That's where he oh, got that name. Okay. So because yeah. he's a war again to an eagle, I just I can't in good conscience not tell people that's that a, information that's a that's a i think that constitutes a fun fact <laughs> fun fact it's uh russian um and i think that's it that they are at the fist of the first men and see this well they have the spiral thing the, yeah. yeah the frozen horse spiral mm-hmm. but well Mans does say i i mean if we're speculating about sort of the agency and culture and personality of the white walkers which is fun to do uh-huh. um man says always the artists and yeah. it's like, does that seem like he was referencing that the White Walkers do things in patterns? Like, I think so. Yeah. That they make designs. Mm-hmm. I, I either thought it was that or he's mocking artists saying like, it's always the artists that are like oh. killing people <laughs> and like the murderers and the psychopaths. Well, that may be true too. But I think in this case, he's saying that, that they arrange their victims mm. in beautiful spirals. Seems like a lot of effort. I guess maybe they make their zombies do it. I mean, yeah, I was gonna say it. I kind of like to see this this construction. Like, is there is the the Night King like pointing around like Screeching. Jeff Koons or something over there, being like <laughs> directing his minions? <sighs> Jeff Koons would be a Night King. <laughs> I think he could wear the makeup pretty well. Yeah. Actually, he's got the skull for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't think in the show we are going to get really any answers about the culture of, of the White Walkers. I'm hoping in the books, if we ever get another book, um, I'm starting to despair a little bit, that that will be explained a little. Because, again, I've said this a million times, that it seems so weird to be like, everyone is flawed and never, no one is... It's never black and white, except for that group. Then it is black and white. That seems maybe mm-hmm. not within the spirit of the, yeah. of the books. But I, It seems like it may be hinting at it that we know that the White Walkers were made from humans. But like, there's, there's definitely a backstory there whether or not some of that stuff carries forward into actual White Walkers, I don't know. I, I, I do hope the books will explore that. I think George did come out and say that he said he's not going to be working on anything else until he finishes the book. Okay. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I understand. It's hard to write things. I fail at it almost every day. But I don't have millions of people scrambling for my words. I have four committee members who don't want to read what I'm writing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, then we go to Craster's. Mm-hmm. And oh boy, Craster's. Craster's is always sinister, but they've really done a good job of like, it has gotten worse. Yeah. And that he, his fear is evident. And so he's even more erratic because mm-hmm. he sees how desperate and angry the men who have survived the attack are as they come back. Mm-hmm. I thought that was I thought that was really well done. Yeah, because they even have, and this will be continued in the next episode. Like even Gior, old bear Mormon, he's like he's weary, 
and he's essentially like letting some things slide as far as what what brothers of Night's Watch are saying mm-hmm. to the Crasters. They basically intimidate Craster into into like letting them in. And I really liked the the opening sort of uh, trucking shot where we come back to Craster's Keep. We're on the the feet and we see the cloaks dragging mm-hmm. in the snow. And then we pan up and it's just like oh man like. They finally get out of that, and they have to show up at freaking Craster's Keep, like right. the worst place in the, in the world. world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's an like, unhappy place. It's just like, oh, we're back here again. Oh, I didn't think we would ever have to come back here again. And here, and here they are. Like that—that's the refuge that they're able to find. Is this horrible place? Yeah. So it just sets up like this weary tension. Like, listen, they like show up to Craster's. Like, listen, man, you're letting us in. Like, we don't want to deal with your nonsense like yeah. we're coming in. Yeah, we don't have anything to give you. Right. You're still going to let us in. And then, um, especially his his talk, his boasting about being a godly man, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I think is supposed to, is for the audience, right? That's so different than what our idea, and even people yeah. in the show, like, of what a godly man is. But it's also to remind us that Gilly, who is loudly um, delivering in, like, a shed, she has a little boy and is and is upset about it. And we know what fate awaits him. Yes, unfortunately. Um, Sam, we, though, just like sticking his head in where he doesn't. It's like go somewhere else, man. <laughs> she even says, "I'll just." She says in the next episode, "I don't have time for you." Yeah, and I'm like, "Tell it how it is, Gilly. <laughs> You're right." <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, and we also have some more shots where we're getting to know. I mean, we're getting to to meet Rast a little bit more or see more of him, I guess, as one of the defiant ones. And also, we have these shots of Carl, who has not been named. Mm-hmm who will be sort of the leader of the mutineers at a certain point and ultimately the one who defies Craster directly. We just have, like, some shots of, like, okay, this is another, like, face that seems like he's yeah. against uh, against Craster. Yeah, yeah. He's got... The actor's name is Burn Gorman, which sounds like a Game of Thrones name. His first name is Burn. I don't understand. <laughs> but he's got just the meanest face. Mm-hmm. And so he, he does a good job of, like, glowering in the corner for both of these episodes. Yeah, he's a real, like, jut of a jaw, and just, like, he's just ready to, like, stick it right in somebody else's business. Yeah, yeah. He's got... Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, he can probably only do character work because he's he doesn't have a face that, like, works in every situation. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, um, but he's great in this role. Mm-hmm. Well, one scene of torture to another. We go to Theon after this, who is then... We probably just do all of Theon's sort of cycle here, but... Mm-hmm. Ramsey, who is still unnamed at this point. We don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Theon seems to think he's an Iron Islander. He, he even seems to think he might be on the Iron Islands. Yeah, he's not. he doesn't know where he is. And then uh, Ramsey helps him escape, gives him instructions about where to go. And uh, I think he's basically telling him to head to the sea uh, or head to Deepwood Mott. I can't remember. Uh, I think he may give different... I know later he says we're going to Deepwood Mott. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that he's that specific yeah. the first time. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, but this is partly what I mean that about setting up expectations that are then subverted. Mm-hmm. This seems like a real rescue. There are some lingering shots that might tell a really careful watcher that like something is wrong. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't know. It not just, really. Yeah. It just it works. It feels like and and I don't even know what they. Part of me thinks, like, they might not have even told the actor who plays Ramsey, like, he was bad yet. Mm-hmm. They might have been like, you're rescuing this guy. Yeah. So that he played it, he, oh, it's just so good. And it mm-hmm. just gives so many layers to Ramsey because he's so good at pretending to be a normal, kind person. Mm-hmm. 
and it's all an act. Yeah, because then we have the the scene later where Theon is being shot at with arrows. There's a big chase scene, mm-hmm. and we don't actually we can't see. I tried to look for it. I couldn't really see sigils or anything on the men who were chasing him. I guess. Well, we've been told that it's not on the Iron Island, so I guess we just think that they're Northmen, I suppose. I think they're probably Ramsay's own men. I think they are in reality, but yeah. I, as far as like who we're supposed to think they are, oh, just like pursuers, I guess. But they they end up uh, taking Theon's horse down, and they've got him on the ground. Seems like they're going to attempt to rape Theon mm-hmm. in the forest, and then arrow bursts through one of the hunters' chests, and it's Ramsay. He shoots all of the other hunters who mm-hmm. are there when the one hunter turns around and sees who it is he says oh you little bastard which is our know, only clue we know is telling but we have like it's so kind mm-hmm. of it's more like an after the fact thing that you could actually realize but at the time it's like not really much of a hint as mm-hmm. much as like a easter egg reference or something and then they you know he continues with the rescue right yeah ramsey saves him from uh the hunters and then he says he's going to take him to his sister at deepwood mott and Theon does all these kind of character reveals. It's he's already the penance that Jamie is about to go through. Theon has gone through it, and to some yeah, extent, yeah. he feels a tremendous regret. He says that his true father lost his head in King's Landing, being Ned Stark. And, and he, you know, he says, "I've chosen wrong," and and all these things that uh, I mean, it sort of shows he doesn't get to develop that much more, almost for the rest of the because mm-hmm. some of these some of the things that he said in this episode are not that different from what he said. In season seven, right? So he right he's in that way he's sort of already at the end of his like regret arc. He just has so much farther to go in terms of suffering, right? But that, I think that will end up adding to what was a, you know I think a common sentiment in a lot of people who are watching the show was like, as far as the Ramsey Theon thing would be like, why I don't need to see more torture like because we have seen a completion of a of a Theon arc to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. We just haven't seen Theon sort of be transformed into something like inhuman, which is yeah. what's still to come, I suppose. Yeah, it is. He hasn't been turned into Reek yet, right? No. He's still regarded as Theon because I guess the because Ramsey was playing this ruse with him. Right. So. Right. So that but that's that's coming up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got Stannis being really needy to Melisandre, just... I found this to be really funny. Where scene. are you going? <laughs> what? Where? Like, are you leaving me? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> He's just... Oh, and then... She is ruthless. He says, make me another son because he wants both Joffrey and Robb Stark killed. Uh-huh. She says, you don't have the strength and your fires You're burn f- low, <laughs> which is woof. <laughs> oh, but the look on her face is also like, oh, this poor baby. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, hun, you can't. You're not yeah. up to it. <laughs> <laughs> like, Melisandre could go town to town selling Cialis. I mean. Yeah, yeah. But it was really... Do your fires burn low? <laughs> oh, it was so great. But she doesn't really know where she's going. More Lord of Light talk. More, I know it's best. You're going to be king. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. She's just building herself up before she falls low in a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. But it was really funny. It was really funny. A, a, totally a, a construct of the show, too. This We don't have Melisandre going where she's going into the middle of the conflict it yeah. seemed yeah <laughs> they come back out the riverlands so. like which is supposed to be totally ruined yeah and um, then she managed to somehow find the brotherhood later i mean we it's not in one of these episodes but still it's yeah a... uh but that was great and uh then we go to the walk of punishment in astropor mm-hmm. um and you've got the really 
horrible visual of, of a, just a row of crucifixions. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, again, the sort of placement. We've got Danny in the middle and Sir Barristan and Jorah. And Jorah is so jealous. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and but he's giving advice like, you should you should buy these slaves. They won't do any of the horrible. They'll only kill people that you want killed. And the sort of other things that go along with the war won't happen with them. Mm-hmm. And then Sir Barristan being... I don't know, a more old school knight is like, no, you need people to follow you out of like love and chivalry. Mm-hmm. It's a little awkward that Jorah, who was sent away from Westeros for slavery, is like big on the slave army. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it makes sense. But you think like even now you don't, you haven't like learned a lesson yeah, about I, slavery is bad. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, I don't, I don't know if he, does he ever come around on that? I can't remember. I don't know that he does. Jorah, uh, slave apologist, yeah. <laughs> like through and through. Yeah, but it is—it's really Jorah's jealousy, wanting to be the only person who has um, Daenerys's ear, mm. and their different ideas about why people should fight for her. It's just a makes makes the walk more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so this, of course, being the title of the episode, "Walk of Punishment," which I did not remember where that came from, mm-hmm. and this being a, a pretty direct illustration of punishment happening to the to the defiant slaves um i really like the shot where Daenerys tries to go up and give the mm-hmm. one guy who's being crucified water and you know he can barely move he refuses and he just sort of mouths something to her and she seems really taken aback by what he but what he said we don't we don't know what he says until mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. when uh, after the deal has been struck but um i just i thought it was a really nice shot so you know punishment being illustrated very clearly here just to, to recap our, our punishment mm-hmm. themes this season, we also had uh, Theon being punished in, in that regard, uh, seeming ongoing torture. And then uh, Melisandre, I think, essentially, I took that as kind of like a shaming of Stannis as well, sort of She's like... Sort of, I think she, there's a part of her that's, maybe it's not a hidden at all, that you should have taken me with you. Mm. And so now I'm going to do the thing that hurts you, yeah. which is remove my presence. Yeah. So I, I saw those two things. Um, also tell you that your fires burn low. Yeah. <laughs> Mock you. Uh, and so then, you know, back at back at Danny, then we have the deal with uh, Krasnys being struck where she offers Drogon. Why do you think that she wouldn't tell Jorah and Barristan this plan? Because like, it makes for good TV, Dan. I guess it makes for good TV. <laughs> or I was kind of wondering, because like, she gets mad at them afterwards, mm-hmm. but... There would potentially, I feel like, be some value in her, like, even inciting her advisors to, like, show some sort of, like, oh, I don't think, like, that it would sell maybe the idea that she's actually going to give the dragon. Yeah, it makes it look more convincing if they think, like, no, this is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. And she's, especially, uh, Krasnus thinks that she's an idiot. Mm -hmm. And so if he feels like she's doing something idiotic, then, like, his guard is down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a, gosh, all the translation scenes and, like, that's just so well done. And also, I, I love Masande, and she she does a, I don't know, for a made-up language, she does a good job translating and having, like, act, like facial uh, reactions to mm-hmm. things that he's saying that she has to sort of finesse to make them appropriate for Daenerys. Yeah. I, the the actor who plays Krasnys is really yeah. nails it, too. Like, <laughs> he's got this smugness to mm-hmm. the way that he sort of do, he does face acting. It's super convincing, and it's like, this guy is—he's baller, you know. He's like he's really <laughs> on top of everything. He's very much in charge, some kind of kingpin-like figure. Yeah, and then she ha- she asks for Masande as a gift, mm-hmm. and they speak. She finds out that the slaves 
don't mind dying because there are no masters in the grave. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that the man said to her on the Walk of Punishment. Mm-hmm. And then there's this great moment of uh, all men must die, but we are not men, yeah. which is just a wonderful delivery. But also I kind of felt like, even though Vela Margulis is kind of a common phrase that maybe other people would know, it's also maybe the reveal that she knows Valerian. Yeah. And so it's kind of that realization as well. Yeah. And... From there, we end up in a Littlefinger's brothel. Pod gets his reward yeah. for saving Tyrion in a scene that is both funny and totally more than is necessary. <laughs> As, I, I, I don't know. It's fine, but it's definitely shoehorning in nudity for no reason. It's seizing an opportunity. Uh-huh. <laughs> We where can we like meet our like boob quota? Yeah. Here's an opportunity right here. This scene right here. Yeah. Prostitutes. Lots. Yeah. Lots of prostitutes. Uh, I mean, it's sort of funny. Littlefinger, or excuse me, uh, Tyrion says that he's surprised that all the bookkeeping is in the brothel. Mm-hmm. It's almost a joke. Like, well, no, we needed to get back to the brothel because we need to show more boobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Anyway, it seemed over the top to me. This is also the episode where Pod comes back with the money, right? Yeah, where yeah. He, they they wouldn't pay him. That's funnier. I think that's <laughs> funny. Like that the the idea that he was so gifted in whatever mm-hmm. way that they wouldn't let him pay them. That like that is actually funny. It's the just parading out extras just for that like for no other purpose other than the boob quota. <laughs> that seems too much. Then we end with Brienne and Jamie. In Locke's camp, uh, both tied to different trees. There's a really menacing scene towards Brienne and her screams in particular. Mm-hmm. Gwen and Christie evoked some real trauma there because it just it's just so horrible the way she is screaming. Jamie talks Locke out of it, mm-hmm. but gets carried away with his own sweet talking. And I don't know, I thought that was an interesting scene because Jamie is cruel. We've seen him do horrible things, mm-hmm. but he's naive about the depths of some people's cruelty. Mm-hmm. And I also thought, so he gets Brienne released. He asks, can I can I lie down? And then mm-hmm. Locke's like, well, are you hungry? <laughs> well, yes, I am. Right. And then um, tricks him and takes away his hand. And this is a real failure of Jamie's privilege because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's used to being able to say, even Locke even says like, whenever you're in trouble, you just say your dad's name mm-hmm. and no more trouble for you. And then it doesn't work in this case. But like, yeah, Jamie doesn't expect to ever be vulnerable. And then he, it, uh, it gets him. Mm-hmm. It's a real nasty knife that they have for this one too. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, he mentions bringing him a carving knife. It's a giant carving knife. Yeah. <laughs> it looks more like a cleaver to me. Yeah. But, and you know, like with the, I don't want to talk about it too much because it's like, gross but like the eye stuff yeah (laughs) oh yeah um, teasing that he might take out jamie's eye which i think jamie would prefer Mm -hmm. if he if he got to choose between his eye and his hand i bet he would have said his eye yeah i think the hand i would think that'd be his most valuable asset really like i think he would pick the hand over just about anything else i think he even says in the next episode i was that hand Mm -hmm. he he only understands himself as like this one part of his body Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just like it's filmed really well too, just like the the shock of it all. Like we we don't see it coming mm-hmm. at all. Like if anything, if anything, it does seem like he's going to like gouge out his eye or something like mm-hmm. that, because uh, that's where all of his attention is paid. And it's just this quick like he's even seems like he's turning away, mm-hmm. 
and then pivots back right at the end just slams down and chops off his hand and it ends with this you know scream and Mm -hmm. it reminds me a lot of the the ned kind of shock of like this chop be like it's not actually going to happen right you're not actually going to let ned die or like get, get beheaded and they do that cut where it's the knife the the sword going through his neck and then they cut and you're sort of almost left with like Maybe there was a camera trick. Maybe that wasn't actually the way that it happened. Right. And this one, though, it seems like that for a split second, but then you do see, like, the hands separate. And it's like, oh, wow, he actually did it. Yeah. And what I I like, and I I luckily have not had so severe an injury that I can uh, empathize, but you see the horror in Jamie's face. It seems like so much more that he... It's the seeing the hand rather than feeling it, right? Mm -hmm. That he's just like, oh, it's not attached anymore. But not that... I mean... I'm sure it was incredibly, you know, it would be painful, but the sh- the horror of seeing it op- apart from him mm-hmm. is is what's um, most shocking. Yeah, I agree. And that's how the episode ends. We talked about the uh, the actual hard cut that they do at the end to the to the music. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. So I thought that was a good one. Mm-hmm. So moving on to episode three hundred four, and now his watch has ended. Directed by Alex Graves this is going to be our debut seeing Alex Graves in action. He's going to do the next one as well. Mm-hmm think maybe return i don't know i have to look into that i don't remember when he'll come back but we pick up right where we left off so kate you want to give us a recap of episode four yeah uh so it starts with uh, jamie and brienne um they're tormented by Locke and the other bolton men Tyrion and varus have a conversation about revenge while varus unboxes the sorcerer who mutilated him ross tells varus that littlefinger is planning to take sansa to the veil with him when he leaves Marjorie encourages Joffrey to open up to the common people, but Cersei is really worried about this. Theon tells the man he thinks is rescuing him, Ramsay, that he didn't kill Bronn and Rickon and is tricked into going back into the torture room. Cersei and Tywin have a tense conversation about duty and family and Jamie. Varys and Olena talk about Sansa, and Marjorie tells Sansa that she and Loras should get married. At Craster's Keep, there is a mutiny. Carl Tanner kills Craster, Rast kills Gior, and Sam, Gilly, and the baby run away. Beric Dondarrion challenges the Hound to a trial by combat, and Daenerys gets her unsullied army, kills the Masters of Astropor, and frees the slaves, and asks them to support her of their own will. And it's a... There's so much going on. Sorry, I think I might have spoke ahead on our Theon stuff from last time. That's okay. Yeah. So that was the arc where he actually returns to Deepwood Mott. What, or what, what he th- thinks is yeah. Deepwood Mott is yeah. actually in this episode, not in the last one. So That's all right. These two dovetail pretty well, I think. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of direct continuations. I mean, certainly the Jamie with the hand incident at the end of the last episode is directly continued here. Yeah, uh, it opens on Jamie wearing the hand around his, I think it, it opens on the hand hanging from mm-hmm. Jamie's neck. And... Brienne's horror and confusion about why Jamie stood up for her and her growing concern for Jamie and that culminates in a in a battle Jamie get gets off his horse and, and gets a sword for a little bit and tries to fight some people off but they're they're basically just toying with him mm-hmm. they push him in the mud he drinks horse urine it's just a nasty it's a yeah it's a dirty muddy scene the the mud is like what I always think is like a kind of Hollywood mud. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the compound is, but it, it, it looks like no mud I ever see <laughs> in real life. Um, it's got kind of a, almost like a granularness to it where it can like, 
it, it makes it really good for making somebody look muddy without like making somebody look like they've got like mud smeared all over them. Mm -hmm. It's like little dots of mud, like it's really rich dirt or something like that. Yeah. I've just noticed that and then they definitely like made a pool of it here and yeah. like threw Jamie into it. Is that loam? Loam is it really rich dirt? It could be loamy. Yeah, mm. definitely loamy. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got Tyrion coming to Varys and saying, what do you know about who tried to kill me? And it's a really great conversation about revenge and patience yeah because Varys is unboxing this thing he seems mm -hmm. busy and not really listening to Tyrion and then we find out and especially Peter Dinklage's face when he sort of figures <laughs> out what's happened yeah so good Varys basically tells him that you have to that you have to play the long game and he ends with saying the revenge you want will be yours if you have the stomach for it and I think that is something that Tyrion does end up having the stomach for but it doesn't seem like he does right now. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to take him sort of being pushed and the accusations of the murder and stuff that are going to happen later are really going to push him to seek that revenge more directly. Yeah. I guess mm -hmm. we'll see what he ends up doing to Cersei. That might tell us whether or not he has the stomach for it. Yeah. And I think we know something. You know, I think this is another scene of Varys starting to to test Tyrion to sort of like set him up potentially for this long game sort of thing. But we're not really super aware of that right now. We're still, I think, in the, uh, particularly in these these two episodes, Varys kind of squibbling, squabbling with uh, with Batar Baelish and sort of scheming behind one another's backs. And this scene, particularly like when Varys looks up in the mirror, looks at himself in the mirror after he's like cleaning his hands, like Varys is getting really terrifying in mm -hmm. this kind of a scene. He's really menacing and... It's unclear exactly to what extent he's going to employ his spying powers and all this influence that he has for, you know, the good of the characters that we like or not. Yeah. No, it's not clear. He lets out a, a pretty unhinged side mm -hmm. to Tyrion just for a bit. Uh, we come back up to Craster's Keep. Such a lovely place. Yeah. Gilly meets with Sam, and we have the return of the thimble. Mm -hmm. where I was wondering if this would actually be touched upon. It seems like in not really any kind of significant way, just that acknowledged, gives the thimble back, says, I don't need this anymore. I don't need thimbles. I don't need this stuff. I need to take care of my son. It's all that matters. Yeah. And throws Sam out, essentially. And, you know, later when we have the actual mutiny take place, Sam will, of course, come back to her and, you know, they'll he'll take charge for once. Joffrey's giving Marjorie a tour of murder locations in the Great Sept. Uh-huh. He's... <laughs> I, I, wrote, I wrote down, Joffrey generally enjoys history. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the parts that involve like somebody killing somebody else yeah. in, in very sort of uh, graphic ways. But hey, he's, he's having a good time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we see the talent of both Tyrell women that Marjorie is really learning how to pull the strings on Joffrey. And Olena, for just a second, sort of breaks uh, Cersei's shell. But Cersei able, is able to like reestablished pretty fast right she Cersei doesn't say anything but she has Cersei has a look that's like I agree with you the men are terrible <laughs> that, that our sons don't do the things that they should to keep themselves safe yeah and that like because uh, I think the line is something along the lines of uh, the you know the men are in charge or, or whatever and Elena says a ridiculous arrangement if you ask me and then Cersei has pauses and is like I want to say right on, <laughs> but she holds it and says like, well, that's the way it is or something mm -hmm. along those lines. It's like, there's nothing we can do about it. Right. 
And uh, I really like this scene. I, I like the scene particularly the way that Marjorie literally takes Joffrey like away from from Cersei, grabs him by the hand and takes taking them out into the people that she has had previous history with you know, absolutely hating him. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of, I would imagine, thinks that not only is he taking him away from me, this kind of like giving away your son at a wedding day or something like that, mm-hmm. but also giving him to the wolves, giving him to the mob yeah. um, that that's out there. And when she's got his hand and it's just like this white void and she, they're heading towards the light and it's like they're going to be you know taken away forever. Yeah, no, that's what Cersei's is afraid of. But Marjorie's the queen of more flies with honey than vinegar. And mm-hmm. Cersei's the queen of vinegar. I also noticed some things in the sept here. It's got this central opening at the top of the, yeah. the dome. Uh, it made the design really remind me of some of the, the designs of the Pantheon mm-hmm. in Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of something being designed for uh, multiple deity figures that are kind of around the outside again with this sort of central focus on light coming through the middle which lets in these kind of natural elements that would otherwise not be there and that's that's reflected here in another well what is kind of like this hybrid of like pantheistic religion but also kind of catholicism it's a it's a bit of like extrapolating the uh the holy trinity concept Mm-hmm. They they'd mention that at least they, I know they mentioned that in the books the idea of like oh it's seven but it's one kind of thing yeah I don't maybe they don't get into that too much in the show but yeah I think I think that's more explicit in the mm-hmm. books and then we sort of figure out Ramsey's game this is where Theon tells him about about not having actually killed Bran and Rickon and then although we're still not I guess we still don't know who Ramsey is we that's realize true. we realize now that he has brought. Theon full circle and just like back to the rack mm-hmm. but we don't know that he's Roose's bastard we don't know that he's like orchestrated everything mm-hmm. it's possible at this point still that he was forced to do this mm-hmm. or or at least was ordered to do it yeah right we don't know who he is I mean you could read into the X shape of the torture rack with all of the the X's that we've seen on the Boltons as of late but it is pretty subtle. You, you really have to be looking for that sort of thing to, to figure it out. I, I know there's scenes coming up where it's essentially like a quiz to Theon to like figure out where he is or, or he'll be tortured further. And I, I remember watching this and being like, oh, I don't know where they are. I, yeah. I could put, pick things on the map and take a guess, but I have no idea. Yeah. I also really like the look of that tunnel that they're into, though. It reminds me of, of the movie Stalker, actually. Yeah. When they're going through that kind of sewer, yeah. sewer thing. It's a it's a cool looking tunnel with like drippy weeds and stuff growing in from all the the little portholes. Well, in Stalker, that tunnel's called the Grinder, and it's supposed to be something like you don't really make it out of mm-hmm. unless you're pure of heart or something. Mm-hmm. And Theon like barely makes it That's out true. of the so. But he doesn't. He makes it out of the tunnel, but kind of not really. Like yeah. the, there's the horrific thing at the the end yeah. where he'll be you know locked for years. Who knows? I think so. Supposed to be years anyway. I don't know if it they do it that way in the show or not, but yeah. Uh, the scene that I really enjoyed after is Cersei and Tywin's conversation because mm-hmm. we we had one before with Tyrion, and we see that Tywin treats all of his children this way. And there's also this great moment that Cersei is worried about Jaime saying, "Are we doing everything we can?" And Tywin is working on a letter, and it is probably a letter to either Walder Frey or Roose Bolton. Mm-hmm. It seems implied heavily that he doesn't share anything with Cersei yeah but he's like 
wouldn't I do everything as he's writing this letter? Mm -hmm. So we cut to that Cersei scene. We have a a brief sort of touch back, touching back in with Brienne and Jamie, where Jamie or Brienne asks, why did you help me? And Jamie is just staring off into the flame. He doesn't offer an answer. He just stares. And then that's the end of the scene. Then we cut to Cersei who's sort of like being shot uh, behind these candlelight yeah. flickers. And so there's this like staring off into the, the flames of both of them drawing these parallels between the two. Right. And uh, Cersei confronts Tywin and says, did you ever think that I might be your best child or your mm-hmm. best pupil? And he tells her really plainly, you're not as smart as you think you are. Um, yeah. You're not doing as well as like, and you've really messed up with Joffrey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... And it's like, oh, he says, and it's not because you're a woman, but you wonder how much of some of the stuff is just like embedded in his expectations. And yeah, is Tywin able to even recognize that he wouldn't be like exhibiting some sort of bias based on gender? I doubt it. Yeah, it's hard to know. I like thinking of Tywin as like, I, I think I said in a couple episodes ago that someone who's like able to accurately recognize the talents of others, mm-hmm. but I might be overestimating his cool unbiased calculation about people he does seem to overlook certain things with women though yeah well, and, and Tyrion too yeah. he doesn't see any of Tyrion's good points he underestimates Cersei Cersei is destructively paranoid about the Tyrells but he also I don't think he sees the extent to which some of the the ways that the Tyrells actually are scheming to get mm-hmm. to grab more power and then speaking of the, the Tyrells sort of scheming, we have the scene with Marjorie and Sansa mm-hmm. on the uh, the walk next to the, the bay. Mm-hmm. And there's some funny stuff in here. You know, I, I see some of this as I, I'm torn on Marjorie because I think that in general, the face that Marjorie puts on for the scheming here, it's not so bad. Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe you should have a little bit more power and influence based on the way that you play people and... I think that there often can be some degree of genuine sentiment behind some of it anyway. At least maybe it's a little bit easier to believe in, in terms of Sansa. even though it I don't isn't... think she wishes Sansa ill. No. And offering Loras, although like Sansa's married life wouldn't be as happy as she thinks it would be. Right. It's It would get her out of King's Landing. He's not a bad person. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't. He's better than Joffrey. Yes. I don't think he, she's offering like, she's not offering a, a cruel life just one that's unhappy and right. filled with kind of lies. <laughs> uh, you know, I think she's she tests Sansa a little bit here. She sort of play comes up with this story about what is it, porridge plague, mm-hmm. and it's almost like let's just see exactly how gullible you are. Oh, you went along with that. Oh, okay. Um, you know, you're an idiot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and now I know what I'm working with. Okay. Yeah. And she sees how, you know, desperate Sansa is to just do anything to get out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that she would, you know, also that she would potentially have a sister where she's lost all of her, you know, brothers and sisters at this point. So yeah. an actual, like, feminine sister would be something that she would always dream of. I wonder if we're supposed to feel that Sansa deserves further punishment for, like, she gets, she's still so excited the idea of marrying, like, a fancy man mm-hmm. who lives in the south right she's not she's pretty easily distracted from like your brother's still at war you mm-hmm. haven't seen any of your family your father's dead she maybe hasn't heard what's happened at winterfell i, I wonder if we're supposed to think like her priorities are still wrong mm-hmm. 
Maybe. Well, she's still just able to be so so manipulated. Like, yeah. She's bouncing around from one person's scheme to the next person's scheme. Be like, she doesn't have a plan of her own. It's always just like, oh, what do you think I should do? Oh, okay. Oh, that sounds good. I'll yeah. go along with that. Yeah. Like, without questioning, they'd be like, no, they're trying to get something from you. Like, Right. But, I mean, the other end of it is like, well, kind of who cares? Like, this sounds better than the, than what I'm in right now. So sure. I'll yeah. go along with your scheme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got the mutiny at Crossroads Keep that ends up taking place. Again, the the same a lot of the tensions that you were expressing that were that were shot really effectively last time bubble over mm-hmm. in this in this case. But you know, I think this is set up in this episode to see these these two sides of uh, Gior, where we have the opening time where we come back to uh, Craster's Keep they're burning uh, another Night's Watchman named Bannon he's overseeing the kind of saying the words over the over the burning ceremony and he's very human in that regard like he's the one in charge people respect him he's not infallible like he doesn't know everybody's name it's this real ramshackle organization everybody's wary from the travel that they've been in the fights they've been in and he's just kind of like the sentiment is there and it's it's kind of like the end of the road, but we feel for him. And then when the actual mutiny starts happening, there seems to be definitely a clear defiance against Craster, and perhaps somewhat justified. I mean, maybe not for this exact instance, but you know, Craster has it coming. Yeah. Like we're not we're not sad to see him go. Yeah. <laughs> but we that are they really sad to see the old bear go. Yeah, that they loop this in with also attacking Gior, which seems like maybe was a little bit unnecessary but you know it i guess it, we don't know exactly what the mutineers have planned in the long term here i think it, the plan turns out to make sense because mm-hmm. they just stay at craster's keep and if they, they renounce really their night watch vow, vows mm-hmm. and so it makes sense that they'd have to kill the lord commander but at the time it seems like ras just being a being a jerk right it seems like he's best at they've just been brought to the brink of like hunger and all this kind of mm-hmm. stuff but then you know that Gior tries to stop them and then he gets stabbed in the back is kind of like oh well, that seems like a maybe a, a step too far yeah there it's and kind you of, almost think you know. he's gonna survive it mm-hmm. because he starts strangling rast but then he um has this delayed like the blood gets into his lungs mm-hmm. or something and then he and then he's done for yeah and Sam and Sam makes off with Gilly, and that's that's the last we see of them this episode. Yeah, they make it out. Oh, we have the Brotherhood Without Banners in the cave, mm-hmm. and Arya testifying against the Hound. Yeah, there's a uh, you know not necessarily too much visually in the scene though. We we are in this cave, and that we were introduced to the Sept earlier. That this is another sort of makeshift religious structure yeah. with this light kind of streaming in from the top and these uh, fires burning. You know, it's a different theological structure here they have a different religion that they're talking about but both applied as these kind of sacred spaces it feels like they, the story plays out the hound is accused of crimes seemingly unfairly actually mm-hmm. like the the ones that the brotherhood without banners sort of accuse him of and it's not until aria offers uh, micah the butcher's boy that one of the accusations actually seems to stick and is not necessarily denied either but the other thing that the hound says is like i it's not my role to question princes i mean you start defying princes, you start losing your own head. And so that's his justification. And we'll see, I think, the battle next episode. Mm-hmm. They, they haven't fought yet. Yeah. They recast Beric Dondarrion. We only saw that character very briefly. I don't believe the previous actor had a speaking role. 
I think he like nods to yeah. Ned. <laughs> and that's about it. So um, I really like the character that they do end up, the actor they do end up casting for him. He's got a really good like rasp, but also kind of like a noble rasp as mm. opposed to Sandor Cocaine, which is you know super harsh. Yeah, there's something kind of slightly nasal or something to the way that his uh, again this kind of like gravel in his voice kind of works. I don't know. There's something kind of Robin Hoody about. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. thing is of like a merry brand of merry men kind of Robin Hood thing. But like, even the way that they've kind of cast that actor and and yeah. depicted the character that way. He could have been Errol Flynn. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get the one of the best sequences maybe in the whole show. Mm-hmm. Daenerys gets her army. Yeah, it's Daenerys at her best. Before she is entirely mired in a bunch of other <laughs> potential uh, problematic issues, yeah, um, she shows for the first time really her own cleverness. She's not sort of stumbled into a solution. She's not sort of been saved by somebody else mm-hmm. or by some magic conclusion that she had no knowledge would actually work out that way. It's her on her own and really on her own. Maybe she didn't have to be totally on her own, but on her own coming to this uh, this plot that she's going to trick Krasnys into giving her the Unsullied, knowing that she'll then be able to, with force, take it all back. Yeah. Re- the tension is good. Mm-hmm. And to see a success is nice, especially after the mutiny, mm-hmm. which is so devastating and violent in a bad way. It's sort of like this flip, like actually, and and especially and with James Jamie's hand too. Like this is the first time in a while that we've like been rooting for the violence, and I don't know if that's good or bad, <laughs> but it's very exciting. Drogon gets to sort of like it's the first time he's done any real damage, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's a it's a really wonderful sequence. And it's another surprise. It's another like yeah, didn't see this coming. Like it seemed like Daenerys was making a tough call. He's like, oh, she's giving away a dragon. I wonder how this is going to change things. Mm-hmm. Not thinking like, she's not actually going to give away the dragon. I don't. I don't mean. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, maybe we should have been more alert to the fact that she was before, like, just before she was like, "They're my children," mm-hmm. and you don't trade your children for an army. But you totally buy it. But it's not. It doesn't. I don't feel as manipulated as as maybe I as as I could. It just seems handily done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's fun. I love even rewatching this, like, because I feel like the anticipation of like the satisfaction of like the, all this playing out is mm-hmm. like so the dragon is not a slave, and then it's like that's when the turn happens, and like you can see the look in Krasny's face turn like, oh, this is you know about to go horribly wrong in the other direction when she reveals that she can speak High Valyrian, mm-hmm. and then there's a shot after they've been torching the place, and. She's sort of facing off to the camera and they have this wall behind her and they just have explosions go on a row as Drogon is just like crushing things. It's just, it's very much a like uh, Michael Bay, like turn Mm -hmm. away from the camera, slow motion explosion thing. But I think somehow just much better, maybe. Yeah, yeah. No, it really works. Then she asks them to fight for her as free men. Mm -hmm. You could argue that they may not feel like they have the freedom to do that, but it's right now we're not going to worry about it. It's uncomplicated. She just gets like an army who loves her and just thinks that she's totally their benefactor. And and then they march away with a big army. Yeah. I I do think when they're actually riding out, there's something about the way that she tosses the whip aside is very much like a mic drop kind of Mm -hmm. thing. She just kind of like lets it sort of slip out. I don't know. There's something, there's a bit of a flare to the way that she tosses it. 
Yeah. No, there's a kind of artificialness to her actions that I think is actually works really well. Mm-hmm. She like knows that she's being watched. She's turning herself into someone to be followed and mm-hmm. like turning herself into a leader. She's very conscious, I think, of how she's acting. And at first I thought when they have the final wide shot of this episode where they have the the army sort of streaming out of Astapor and the dragons flying around, I always thought that it was like, that looks like way more than 8,000 people. <laughs> um, I don't know if it is. Maybe I'm just bad at kind of guessing numbers. I've always been kind of bad at like, guess how many jelly beans are in the jar sort of thing. Yeah. I, 8,000 is a lot of people, but like not, not really that many people. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it's accurate. Maybe I, I just don't know you. how to count. Yeah. So I don't have great, uh, visual spatial reasoning, so <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> um, but uh, it does look like a lot, and <laughs> so it definitely looks like an army's worth of people. So I guess that's whether the numbers add up or not. The visually, it works. She's got a whole army's worth. Yes, and that's how that episode ends. Yeah, it uh, brings an, another one to a close. So I think the quality of the episodes for this season have been so high, both beautiful looking, well directed, and a lot of story. Yeah. Um, it's not like one thing has gone at the sacrifice of the other. Yeah. It's it's things keeping a pace with one another, and it's just such a such a propulsive and engaging mix yeah. of things happening. It can be more fun to criticize than to just fan out, but mm-hmm. like, but these are episodes that are worth sort of gushing over because mm-hmm. they're pretty good. And I feel like a lot of the criticisms that we might have tend to be like the way some of this stuff plays out later mm-hmm. um less so than the way that things are, are done here i mean we, we had a couple qualms but it really hangs much. together this yeah. season and so yeah it's going to bring us to a close for these two we're going to have two more episodes next week we're going to continue with season three we have episode five and six kissed by fire another one directed by alex graves and then the climb which is going to be the return of alex sakharov who's that cinematographer who we saw do one of the episodes in season two and that'll be that if you want to check out any more of our podcasts go to our website themummersfarce.libsyn.com or follow us on twitter the mummers farce pod is our handle there our podcasts are on itunes and google play and hey email address <laughs> <laughs> almost forgot send us an email at the mummers farce podcast at gmail.com if you have a comment question or uh any other thing you want to say? How cool did you think Daenerys' exit was? Mm. Do you think it was 8,000 people? <laughs> yeah. We need to, how about somebody count the people for us and then let us know how many it is and then we will talk about whether or not we think you're correct. Yeah, but no prizes. <laughs> um, okay, so that's going to do it for this one. We'll come back next week with another pair of episodes. All right. Bye, Dan. All right. See you, Kate. Bye. Bye.